Happy Sunday. It's Mile High Magazine, and I am Murphy Houston. And my guest today is Lydia Rhino, who's with the Eating Disorder Foundation. And National Eating Disorder Awareness Week is coming up February the 24th, and we're going to talk about it and some of the struggles Lydia has had. Lydia, thank you for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Well, it sounds like it, and it's it's nice of you to share your story. We were talking a little earlier about the fact that the eating disorder situation's been around forever. I mean, I had three daughters I raised, and they didn't necessarily personally go through it, but they sure had a lot of friends that went through it during high school and college and, and on. And sometimes I feel like it just gets not put away, the eating disorder situation, but people don't talk about it so much. They talk about other diseases or whatever the situation might be in the news, but we need to talk about it because it's out there, right? Agreed, 100%. So let's just start with the basics. What is an eating disorder? So an eating disorder, there's a variety of different types of eating disorders, but for the most part, um, I would say that they're mostly centralized around a focus of body image, weight, and insecurities with the self and the self in regards to your body and your weight. So it's a lot of fear of focus around that. So. It's really difficult to like explain in simple terms what it is. Sure. But I would just say like the biggest thing is just like an obsession and a focus on your body being the most important part of yourself. And it doesn't necessarily have to start at a young age, right? I mean, nope. it, you, you think you, girls in their early teens, that's where it starts, and it, it does. But there's other demographics that get involved with this. Oh, definitely, yep. So a largest, I think the largest onset is typically between 18 and 22, but I believe that there's also people as young as 12, 11, like under that age demographic, and then also older in life as well. So my mom personally struggled with one um, for 20-plus years, and she was well until like her early 50s. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. That's a long time. It was a long battle. Yep. We actually just lost her over Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, to a long, but it was a long battle with it. And honestly, I think she's in a better place now because of how long she battled through her eating disorder. Yeah. I bet that was hard. I bet it was hard for you to see that. Definitely. It was super difficult because, like you said, no one talked about it growing up. We like right. knew something was wrong, but right. we didn't have the words for it. And like she had been to treatment when she was in like seventh grade, but treatment when she was in seventh grade looked a lot different than how it oh, does now. My goodness gracious, yes. So do you think maybe that led to the situations you went through because you saw your mom when you eventually figured out what was going on? And it didn't help you. No, definitely. So there is a genetic component to eating disorders as well um, that carry on in the family, usually through the mother. Um, But I didn't develop my eating disorder when I lived at home, which is like something that's always been kind of curious to me because like you would think that being raised in a household with it, that that would be something that would be like common. But my mom never pushed her eating disorder on us at all. Like that was like a firm disconnect that she was like, I want you guys to be healthy and eat and have good body image. And that was just something that like I didn't worry about my body for like the first 18 years of my life. Right. So did you start when you went away to college? Correct. A lot seems to start when you go away to college, doesn't it? Yes. So it was into my sophomore year of college. So I actually had just gone through a breakup with my partner that I've been with for four years. So a lot of my self-esteem was tied to that relationship. And I depended on that person for a lot of my self-worth. Sure. And then after that, I kind of like turned inwards and was like, well, what's wrong with me? It's got to be my body. And then that's when I started to get really obsessive and compulsive about my exercise and my food and just everything around that kind of sphere that it was like, that was what was wrong with me. How did that, it it takes over your life. A hundred percent. And you don't want people to know that it's done that. So you try to hide that. I can't even imagine trying to live a life, hide that situation you're going through 
and the stress and strain of all that must have been incredible. It was the... Like, when I think about now, hard situations I've been through, I think, besides my mother passing, that is was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. Like, recovery is hard, but living with an eating disorder and trying, like you said, trying to hide it, trying to, like, suppress that while taking 18 credits, having two jobs, being in a role in an organization. Like, there's so many things I was trying to do and trying to also, like hide a huge part of myself from everyone sure. something that I was struggling with but I didn't know how to talk about it with anyone at that time either so like I was surrounded by people that were like we don't know what's going on some people were like you look really good you've lost a lot of weight how, like what are you doing you look amazing so it was really confusing and just like a really chaotic time in my life so when you heard those compliments and mm-hmm. their compliments mm-hmm. what, what, oh, I better keep doing what I'm doing which is wrong but yet it's working a hundred percent yeah, it's re- it's really validating. It, it truly well, is. Sure. Like our society is just so focused around that that now whenever I see people that are like, if I notice people have lost weight, I'll just be like, hey, are you doing okay? Like, how is like everything in your life like stress wise? Like, I want to check in with that first and not compliment people because I don't think that when people lose weight, it's not always like in a good standing or from a good place. So when you do that, and you probably do it with friends you have, mm-hmm. acquaintances you have. Do they think, why is she being so nosy? Why is she asking those questions? What does she see? What does she know that I'm doing? I try to not, well, it's okay. I try not to do it too much because I usually don't like to comment on people's bodies, but I've done it with some of my closer friends that I just like to check in with. And they usually come at it from a place then because they know, like, I'm very open about my story. So they know where, like, my history has been with that. Right. So I think they are a little bit more welcoming to it. And usually they are. Like, I have been really stressed. Work's been really difficult. Or they open up to me about different things that have been going on. Like, if they've recently been diagnosed diagnosed with depression or if they've been started a new medication like i like to be a person that they can talk to about it so that's always like i will only do it if it comes at a place of like i feel like it's something that i need to reach out and ask for but i don't do it to other people that i like don't know too well because i try not to ever talk about people's bodies so lydia there might be and there probably is folks listening to us right now maybe they work with somebody somebody at church somebody that lives down the block and they suspect somebody something's going on how can you tell How can you know if somebody's struggling with an eating disorder? I think this is like one of the hardest questions because some eating disorders, like specifically anorexia nervosa restricting type, they are usually more visible because like for me, when I was struggling with it, I had lost a significant amount of weight and like my hair was thinning, all of the other side effects that come with it. But there's other eating disorders like bulimia and binge eating that you might not notice that aren't as easily noticed, like externally they're more like internal struggles that people are battling with so it can be really difficult to notice so i think it's more of like i mean this is like the hardest part i think of the conversation is like how can we tell because it's something that you can't always see visibly and i don't know if there is a proper answer or a best way to describe that well can you tell let's say you're out to lunch with people that you work with and you see how they're eating is that a way to tell i mean are they trying to eat when they're in public as normal as anybody. Yep. But when they're by themselves or at home by them, then it's different. 
Is that how it is? Um, it can be. It's different. So there's like a wide scope too, like a wide range. So I would still eat like when I was restricting, there would still be foods that I would consider safe that I could eat. So people are always like, well, I didn't know anything was wrong because you were still eating all the time. Right. But it was just limited things that I was eating. And there's a lot of, that can look a lot of different ways. Some people just have a phobia of eating in front of people because they feel like they're going to be judged. So there's so many different aspects of it that it can look like being, especially around people at lunch when there is a lot of discussion about like food and healthy foods, quotes, <laughs> good right. food, bad food. Right. Like it can just be like a really stressful topic for people. So I think maybe one thing to notice if like people are like avoidant around food or like super um, like regimented or routine to like a sh- really strict, rigid way. Right. I would say that's probably a little bit of a, but even that can be very difficult too because there are people that just like familiar routines. So I think there is just a lot of gray area with it, which I think is like as to the complexity of eating disorders. Well, it's a huge struggle and very dangerous. Talk about that, how having an eating disorder can be dangerous. Definitely. So some aspects of specifically, I can speak from my own experience with like the personal dangers that I know. Um, I'm more familiar with the anorexia nervosa kind of side of it just because that's been my family lineage of eating disorders. So I'm most knowledgeable about that. But um, when I lost a decent amount of weight my body like i had irregular heartbeats i was passing out so in the morning on multiple occasions i would like get out of bed and i would faint so one time my roommate found me and another time my sister did so that's just like and that can happen whenever just because you're at such a low body weight to what your body needs to be at sure and developing down the road a lot of people develop osteoporosis so like bone health is goes down the tubes pretty quickly um, just when you're not getting any nutrients to it your brain deteriorates you're not like I would get so overwhelmed with everything because my brain was not fully nourished so I would cry just at work constantly because everything seemed like too much to handle um, so it's not that dangerous but it's dangerous no, in that the is sense dangerous. of like self and preservation of like right. who you are it's like really crippling um, and then ultimately it can lead to heart failure which we believe was like the um cause of death ultimately for my mom was just a heart attack because her body was just like not able to sustain like the amount of stress that might have been a much a lot of stress on you guys having that going on with your mom at home and and people i'm sure more like your mom have families Mm -hmm. and she's trying to get them to eat properly Mm -hmm. healthy but yet she won't how do how do you how do they do that i mean that must have been a huge struggle I think for her, it was so difficult for her because she saw her role as a mother, like as her primary job, and she was able to do it so well. But at that time, both sacrificing her ability to take care of herself first, which is something that I've noticed in a lot of other people in the eating disorder community, is that we like to take care of other people before we can take care of ourselves because that's a way that we get purpose and Uh sense of self is by providing and being of service for others. So it's something to like that I try am trying to take on more now that after I watched my mom's experience and her not taking care of herself as well as she could have um, and doing it in sacrifice for all of us so we all had good lives, I am trying to do, like I'm trying to be more, like take care of myself better now to, sure. in order to like honor her in that way that I want to make sure that I'm showing up for myself first and then helping other people because I'm the same way. I love to give to other people. I'm like want to be as available as possible because that's where I get a lot of my worth from. So, but I don't want it to be like in exchange. Like I don't want the eating disorder to come back because I want to help other people. You'd almost think that the key, especially dealing with a mom that might be going through that situation, 
I've got to take care of myself first because I have all these responsibilities, two, three kids, you know, my husband, maybe my parents live with us. And I, it's my, it's always the mom's responsibility, but it didn't work out that way. It doesn't work out that way. No, I think it can be different for a lot of situations, but I think for her, like it was, she was definitely able to manage it well. And I like say manage because I don't think she ever like it was never like in remission. I think it was for a little bit. But the biggest when it restarted really strongly was when we got to an age that we didn't need her as much. So like when I got into middle school, so I stopped needing her to do everything, like a lot of things for me. I was more independent. So I think that's when she kind of had a little bit of a loss of her sense of self and was like, I had this role as a mom. And now my three kids are at an age where they don't need me as much. So I think that's kind of when she like turned back into that and like realized that her eating disorder could kind of provide that identity <clears throat> for her. Yeah, well, it had to have been tough, and I'm sorry you had to go through that. We're talking with Lydia Rhino, who's with the Eating Disorder Foundation. National Eating Disorder Awareness Week is February 24th, and it's a huge problem. So at what point, Lydia, in your life did you go, okay, I can't do this. I've I, I, I got to change my life. I have to. Did somebody from the outside step in, or you just did it on your own? I wish I could say that I did it on my own. No, I was at school in Iowa, and I had someone write a letter to the dean of students um, recommending that I go in for a meeting to talk about it because they were concerned about my health and my safety. So I went to have a meeting with the dean of students, and um, there was someone contracted at the school to help provide support for people. that were either struggling, I think, with any kind of addiction or eating disorders. So she was able to give me some options for treatment centers that I could look at. And that's the first step. Yep. And then what? It, and then you still have to have the initiative to do it on your own, right? Yeah, definitely. So then I had to go back to Illinois, where I'm from, and then was reaching out to the treatment centers, trying to find out where I could get placement, and then also dealing then with the insurance coverage for it, because treatment is very expensive. So I applied for scholarships to go to treatment. So it's a lot of work to get to even that place to begin to heal, which is really difficult because now when I look back, I'm like, how did I do that while still being sick? Because I was still losing weight while and still struggling really badly while I was trying to get to treatment. So I don't, I actually don't know how I did that, but I'm very proud of myself (laughs) for being able to do that. Hello, absolutely. Give yourself a pat on the back (laughs) because that takes a lot of, one, courage, a lot of initiative, and you got to stick with it. It doesn't happen overnight, does Mm -mm. it? Talk about the treatment a little bit. What, what what do they go through? So it was very intense. I flew out to Denver by myself and got picked up from someone from the treatment center and brought me to the inpatient unit, which I think has been renamed now. But I went to the Eating Recovery Center of Denver. Um, I lived in the inpatient unit. So it's basically like a hospital floor that you have a whole team of doctors, um, like a primary care, a psychiatrist, dietitian, and a therapist, and a family therapist, um, all on staff. And then you also have other counselors that are there. And I lived there for a month before getting discharged down to a lower unit of care. So then I stepped down to the partial hospitalization program at ERC as well, um, which is a 12-hour program, seven days a week. Wow, that's and I was there for like four or five months. So in, in the meantime, you're not working. You're not. Nope. You're you're there by yourself. Yep. You're, you're fighting the problem. Yep. You're there with the other people that are alongside you fighting as well, and like all at different stages of it as well. Everyone's had their eating disorders for different amounts of time, different types of eating disorders. Does that help? 
they have people there with you that are so you can talk amongst yourselves and support each other? Yeah, 100%. That was like the biggest. I think that's what was so important to me is that like I came from having just me and my mom talking about it, that we were like the only ones that would understand each other to going to a place that it was like a whole community of people that were all like, okay, like we're all here. We all have some inkling of hope that we want to recover. Sure. So we were all there fighting together. And I think community like that is the ultimate piece of like recovery, I think, is just having people that understand you and that are going to validate you when you're struggling, but also are going to like validate your successes too. Perfect. So when you're at the eating disorder center in Denver, mm-hmm. which I hear is one of the best in the country, by the way, mm-hmm. do you get like, okay, I'm going to the ball game tonight. I got to get out. I've got, I got to do something besides be in this building, seeing these professionals day in and day out. Do you have that? Um, you can get passes when you get to like certain levels. So there's like a level system in it. So you can get like on Thanksgiving one year, my brother lived out here. So he was able to come pick me up and take me out for dinner, um, which was really stressful. And I cried, oh, but he, oh, my brother's like the greatest. He, yeah. he put up with a lot with me, <laughs> but, um, you do get to like levels where you can, like we would go to sit at like the mall and stuff. We couldn't move around too much cause you're not supposed to really move a lot while you're in treatment is Um, that right yeah if you're weight restoring so like i was restoring weight so you're not supposed to be like active or Or moving around work out or no no no, absolutely not (laughs) so you're trying to like get your body weight back up to where it needs to belong to able to live a healthy life um so we could do some normalized things but a lot of it we like kind of were tired like you're in like it didn't feel like you weren't getting like obviously we weren't getting paid we weren't going to work but you were doing a lot of emotional work during that time so we were up at 6 a.m in like program from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with appointments all day. You're like going to different groups and learning about like different parts of eating disorders, about yourself, working with your family, you know, like doing there's so many aspects of it that like we did want like to go do things. But most of the time we went and like hung out with each other afterwards and would just talk or watch movies or just. And how long does this treatment go on where you are just really under their control? Um, it, it's different for every person. I don't know what the average. I was there both times, I think, for between like five and six months. Um, but that depends also on insurance coverage. If you can pay out of pocket, like there's a lot of different factors that go into length. I think for the most part, they want you there until you're like around your hopefully you're at your goal weight of what your dietitian sets for you um, and you're able to do a lot of that work there because restoring weight beyond treatment or doing any of that can be really difficult in my personal experience the first time I was just discharged prematurely so I wasn't able to get to my goal weight yet um, which led I believe a strong piece led to a relapse really quickly afterwards so it looks different for every person but I would say that the longer that you can be there in my opinion that's better because you get more practice with those meals of learning how to work through difficult emotions while they come up there. Like there's just so much work that you can do there. And I think more time is better. Talk about how you felt when they said, okay, Lydia, we're done. You're on your own. What was that like? I can't even imagine. I was so excited. I like the first time I left, I was like, I'm never coming back again. I got it. I'm perfect. Like, I know what exactly what to do. I was like, I thought I was never going to ever struggle again. So I was like super confident. A little piece of me was scared, but I was like, no, I got it. Like this clicked. It worked. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of myself. How would I feel? I would be afraid. Do I have enough confidence in myself to do this? myself without the help you've been having for five or six months Mm -hmm. 
but you just seemed to jump right in. I did, but then I also relapsed really quickly. <laughs> Within like six months, I was like back at treatment. So I learned really. I think it was like it was really. I'm I'm grateful now in retrospect that I did because I learned that I needed to have different things set up for when I did leave because I was so confident that first time that I was like I'm good I don't need anything the second time I was like all right I need a dietitian I need a therapist yeah like I can't go just like yeah like you said like I can't go from having all this support to having nothing and thinking that I can still do it because I couldn't for those that might be struggling with your situation or they know of people. Is recovery possible? Is complete recovery possible? So complete recovery, in my mind, it's like, it's choosing recovery. It's like active recovery, I think, because I think sometimes, because I don't think that like my eating disorder will ever fully go away. I don't think that is for me, that's not realistic. I like to think that it's always going to be a part of me, but I'm always going to be an active recovery and I'm always going to choose that every day. It's not something that I don't think about. It's every day I wake up, I make the choice that I'm going to continue with my recovery that day. And it's worked for me for almost four years. So I'm continuing on that. <laughs> well, thumbs up to that. Mm-hmm. Four years. That's that's yeah. got to make you have a huge sense of accomplishment. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where I think about that this is the hardest, like, aspect of my life, I think, is my eating disorder. And I think being able to, like, know that I've had the strength to do this for this long and I'll be doing it for a long time, like, that makes me feel like I can do a lot more. So I've, like, pushed myself in other areas that I didn't think that I was ever going to do again, that I was like, okay, well, I've already done something that really scared me and that's been challenging and I continue to do it every day. So, like, why stop there? What recommendations can you make to maybe friends and family of someone they know is going through an eating disorder? What can they do to help? What was your support for that? Um, I think the best thing that people did was learn about it. So they would like go on different websites like the National Eating Disorder Association, NIDA. Um, they have a great website with a bunch of different resources. The Eating Disorder Foundation has a bunch of different resources on their website and free support groups for family members, friends of people struggling with eating disorders as well as for people struggling with them and different groups based on different needs. Um, and just really be trying to be as educated as you can and asking the people that are struggling what they need because I think that's something that we assume that we know the best way to help other people and sometimes we don't so it's always good to check in to see hi how can I support you with this like this is something I've noticed and just always bringing it back to like the self and being like I've noticed that like you seem sad or that you might be struggling with something I just want you to to let you know that I'm here for you Without pushing too hard, because I think that might, one, irritate the person going through the disorder. Yes. Or even scare them off. Mm -hmm. And who knows what will happen after that. So you got to be kind of careful about your approach, don't you? Definitely. That's why I always coming from the place of, like, I'm worried about you or, like, I see this with you. And not being, like, you did this. Like, don't put, like, blame or, like, shame them or guilt them because it's that's those are huge components of eating disorders as well. So we want it to come from a place of compassion and a place of caring about the person. So being, like, I want to be able to support you however that looks like. I want you to know that I'm here for you. That's a that's a great way to start. I, I wanted to uh, approach a, a part of our topic, the eating disorder. I think a lot of people mistakenly say, oh, it's only a female problem. It's only females. But that's not true because I know of men and I know of athletes mm-hmm. that truly have eating disorders. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. That's what, something that we talk a lot about in the eating disorder community is that eating disorders don't discriminate based on gender, sex, 
racial ethnicity, socioeconomic status, any of like age, age, any any discriminatory factors like eating disorders don't care about that. Like it, it is huge in the like athlete population because you're sculpted basically by your coaches, by all these people who think they know the best thing for the like athletic component, but that's not always the best case for individuals' body types. There's been different things that have been set up like BMI to track and gauge whether you're normal or average and those things are just not realistic when everyone's bodies are different everyone's structures are different and we all need different levels of things right so it's not something that just like one person or one identity can like struggle with it's like definitely a society there's like standards for everyone and every body type and we should all look one way and very true everyone is affected by that not just one type of person do you think it's harder for men than women to face the fact I've got this problem when men are always supposed to be, yeah, we're macho, we have none of this stuff going on. You know, like the girls have that problem, not me. I couldn't have that problem, but that's think, wrong. Yeah, it's the social stigma, right? Like it's right. definitely the piece that we assume that men have to carry themselves in a certain way or that they like aren't able to vocalize struggles. Right. And I, a lot of other like gendered people feel that way too, especially like non-binary individuals, transgender folks like we just don't know and i think everyone carries a stigma with feeling insecure about their body and talking about that and i think that's something that like we need to talk about more as a society is realizing that everyone can struggle with things and we all have mental health and it's important to address that and to address that anyone can struggle with any of these issues and they're not selective that's a really good point i'm glad you brought that up now, let's talk about the organization you represent, the uh, Eating Disorder Foundation. What do they do to help? What, what What is out there that they're offering? So they are actually the only organization in the country, I believe, pretty much, um, give or take. But they offer free support, which is almost unheard of in the eating disorder world um, because everything is usually like for profit but it's not a treatment center but they offer free support groups different workshops so they have different professionals that come in to speak and give you like different workshops based on like toolkits that you can use like different aspects of recovery or of different stories Um, and they also have a mentoring program so I'm a mentor through the Eating Disorder Foundation so I have had a couple different mentees that I've met with weekly to set like recovery goals and we talk through them and I'm basically like just another person here for support and just to like check in and just to make sure that we're like making progress and focusing like if I can be like one little piece of recovery for them like I love to do that um and we also, yeah, I think we have different like events and education. education. So also, I speak. <laughs> thank yeah, you. <laughs> I yeah. speak on behalf of the eating disorder as well. Eating disorder foundation, like you are right now. <laughs> yes, and I also, but I also go to like high schools and give educational talks. Um, to I went to a psychology class this year and to a different mental health fair at a different school too. So to you. do educational outreach, which I think is super important, especially in middle and high schools, because I think people think it's too young, but that's really, there's so much going on then that we need to have those discussions. Does the Eating Disorder Foundation must have a website Correct. that people could go to immediately after we're talking here? So let's talk about that. What is the website? There's like a ghost in the room. <laughs> so it's eatingdisorderfoundation.org. And there's a lot of information there. Uh, do we dare ask about a phone number to reach out for help? Do we have one of those? We got the echo. 303 <laughs> <laughs> 
322-3373. I think we heard that. Perfect. For, per, repeated. Well, Lydia, I appreciate you coming in. As you sit here now and all the massive struggles you've been through, both with your family and what you've gone through a couple of times, if there's somebody sitting out there now, maybe a young person, maybe an older person, maybe a family member or somebody they're worried about, what advice can you give them? What, what should they do? What, motivate them to take action. I think the biggest thing is just to reach out to someone, find someone that you can trust and confide in um, and let them know that you need help. Because I think I felt really weak doing that before. And I don't like using that word all the time, but I felt like I it was like a bad thing for me to need help. And I think that was the strongest thing that I could have done was say I'm not okay, and to ask people for help because people do want to help you and people want to see you succeed and that everyone's deserving of it even if we don't feel like we are at well, the time. Well, that's the first step is reaching for help. Mm-hmm. So more or less, it's your accepting the fact, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. And once, and I think that's with a lot of situations in life. If there's issues, I got a problem, help me. Yes. And that's the first step. Yes. And then you reach out to the Eating Disorder Foundation. Correct. And they can help you right there, and it all goes to recovery. Yes. You're a strong person, Lydia. Do you know that? I do. I try to remind myself. <laughs> no, it's hard sometimes. No, but. I, I would think your mom would be extremely proud of what you're doing right now. There's just no denying it. Uh, being a parent, if you were my daughter, I'd go, way to go, girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Thank you. I know she is. She always, that was one thing. She never made me question how proud she was. And all she wanted me to do was continue my work with advocacy for eating disorders and make sure that we can help as many families as we can because that was something that she really wanted to see me do through my no. recovery. And you've done it. And I'm going to continue to do it. <laughs> and the chain continues yes. because now you are helping many, many people. Yes. So it's something you got to take care of. Don't put it off because how's it going to go away by itself? I just can't. It doesn't. How could it? No, support is necessary. Support, community, love, compassion. These are vital components. Well, Lydia Rhino, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for being here for the Eating Disorder Foundation, National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, February 24th. That might be a good point for a lot of you to start some recovery right then. And thanks for coming in today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you bet. And thank you guys for listening. It's Mile High Magazine. I'm Murphy Houston, and we'll talk to you all again next weekend.